Welcome to the Grazing Grass Podcast, episode 23. The mindset of producing volume to the to the mindset of producing quality and 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 focusing on customers. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. On today's show, we have Lloyd Born Trigger. He is a second generation dairy farmer. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about Raw milk sales, one of my favorite breeds of cattle. Dutch belted cows, once a day milking, sprouted fodder. I've seen pictures of in magazines, but I had never talked to anyone who was using it. We also talk a little bit about hogs and pastured rabbits. I think you're going to enjoy today's episode. Before we get to Lloyd, be sure to subscribe, share, comment, and review. Let's talk to Lloyd. Lloyd, we want to welcome you to the Grazing Grass Podcast. We're excited you're here. Thank you. It's good to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your operation? Yeah, sure. Glad to do that. Well, I'm a second generation dairy farmer. Uh, I live on the farm where I grew up on uh, here in south central Kansas by the small town of Yoder. It's... um, just a small town, but quite a bit going on there. I grew up here on this farm and uh, lived here all my life and been enjoying it. I went off uh, working for construction a little bit, but all my life I was involved here on the farm. And uh, it has the farm has transitioned quite a bit from where it started with my dad uh, farming. Uh, we were a traditional dairy farm, row crops and uh, grain, grain row crops, pasture uh, on a very small scale. And then uh, most of the feed would all be, be uh, hauled in for the cows and fed in a building where, where they would, would eat all their uh, hay and silage and grain. So uh, that, that was the way it what I was used to when I was a boy. And uh, I was really interested in organics early on. My dad was involved with some fertilizer and feed uh, sales that was a natural fertilizer and feed. And it always interested me, you know, doing something different from the mainstream. That was always kind of, it was always my taste to be part of that. And I got involved with different uh, things as I was, you know, growing up and, uh, you know, Acres Magazine was one thing that was really attractive to me. And, and I asked a lot of questions to other farmers and anyway, it was kind of, it's, it's kind of a long journey, I guess, but it seems like it hasn't been that long ago since we were doing things different. So, um, I'll just share kind of how we got to where we are today. And uh, we had a dairy farm and we'd we'd sell a little uh, raw milk to our neighbors and friends and community. My my parents did that for uh, all the years I remember. And they had taken over kind of a small business from uh, my mom's parents. So it's been going on a long time. And it was always interesting to me to listen to these customers that would come and purchase this raw milk and was, was 
really a good learning experience for me to just listen to the customers and it always intrigued me and uh, they were always so appreciative of of the products well we were getting paid less and less on the on the dairy pricing and uh, we had this more natural fertilizer more natural feed that we'd feed the cattle and it would just kind of pinch a little every time you know the the price of the feed would go up and the price of the milk would stay the same. And, you know, watching some of the older dairy farmers go out of business, I thought, oh, no, uh, is this going to be us, too? And after a while, um, I, I started looking at the customer thing, and that's where I saw a lot of potential. And uh, I got I got married then in 2005 and by that time i was doing a lot of the uh uh management dad was still involved but i was kind of slowly taking over the farm and there was some changes coming along down the pike when i was uh newly married and and you know kids were were coming along and i was uh all excited about this farming endeavor and all the opportunities it gave. And so um, I, I kind of was introduced to some of this pasture-based farming through Acres, uh, Acres USA. And uh, I remember wanting to be organic and thinking that's, that would be the, the key to, to success because uh, that would be kind of a niche market where we could excel. But we did a lot of tillage and a lot of row crops and, you know, weeds were an is- a big issue trying to overcome that. And uh, I came across uh, someone, I forget who it was, but uh, there was a quote that really stuck to me and it was uh if you want to be an organic farmer you need to be a grass farmer first and and that got me to thinking well okay what does that mean on a dairy because that's only for beef cows because the grass is only for beef cows uh (laughs) and uh so anyway i uh i started checking into that and uh pretty soon i i've i I uh, started subscribing to the Stopman Grass Farmer and read. Oh yes, had some dairy article, dairy grazing articles in there that were really attractive. But uh, you know, my dad, my dad was uh, not on board here. He uh, he said, uh, you know, back in the east they get more rain. We don't have enough rain to grow good good pasture for cows, and and uh, so. I did keep on pursuing it and uh, it was kind of a twofold thing where we got when we got to where we are and that was the uh, customer side of things people started asking for is your is your milk grass fed and you're like what does this mean and you know when we got asked that and uh, and then the other side was the the fields you know and the weed the weed side the organics and and uh so i was like this 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 has to work one way or another we're going to pursue it and go for it and so the so the first thing 
I realized was that turning the cows out on um, on pasture, you know, the first thing the first thing was like a lot of people do out here in Kansas is they'll turn out their beef cows on on winter wheat. So, you know, over the winter and the spring, they'll turn out the cows on on the uh, winter wheat. And so we had we had some uh, wheat and triticale uh, out. And so, you know, we uh, we had a little patch that we turned the cows out and dad just thought this this is the worst thing ever because, you know, the flavor <laughs> of the milk will get terrible with that. You know, the, the spring, oh, yes. the spring. Uh, yeah, it's all rich and and uh, from the annual just so lush. So anyway. I did that, and uh, so we just did it for a little bit, and pretty soon I realized that I need more of a sod than uh, than just a tilled uh, wheat field because you know it it didn't have to be very wet, and they just made a mess out of that because it just we we wanted it for for you know a grain crop or a a feed crop later, and it just messed it up, and Dad didn't think that ever was was the right thing to do so yeah we we definitely had had some of those discussions of of uh the way ways of doing things like i think all farms do so um so i i i went into the cover crop thing where i tried to have more living roots in it more more of the time and i quit you know moldboard plowing you know that was a thing back in the day and uh did did less tillage and finally realized that uh i can keep the cows out a lot longer if if i keep uh the uh keep the tillage away and that that really started making a difference but you know it it did it did kind of cut our production a little bit on the pasture side just simply because it was um it was so used to tillage and it just didn't have the capacity you know to keep to get the cycling done and it just took it just took some time i realized that and uh so i played around with different things on the pasture side but the biggest thing i saw was that uh our our cows were not made for this you know if they had to have energy to go out there and and graze and then bring come back in twice a day to milk um they they ran off a lot of energy and a dairy cow's got got a lot of energy going to milk production and and you know the you know they're milking off their back and and uh especially when the the grass is lush and green you'll just have big udders and bony cows when when they're <laughs> when they're out like that so um i uh realized my breed of cows won't work for this either and so uh, I started searching for uh, some other breed or some other type of cows that would work better for for this situation, and um, I came across this article in uh, in a magazine I'd get from I forget it was some tractor catalog or tractor newspaper, and there was this this dairy farm in Pennsylvania that uh, he'd uh, he had these Dutch belted cows and and the article stated how reproductive they were and he could he could have so many heifer calves come along each year that every 
several years, he sold off all his cows and he had enough heifer calves to start another herd in a year or two. And he was able to take a break. And I thought this, this sounds really good. <laughs> you know, dairy oh, yeah. farmer getting a break. Uh, since <laughs> when, when does yeah. that happen? Um, but anyway, I, I did some searching on the breed and, uh, kind of fell in love with them. And, and, uh, so I started searching for a bull because I pretty, I realized pretty quickly that I, uh, was, uh, not going to just buy a new herd just because of the price <laughs> of those animals. Yeah. They're, they're pretty rare and, and, uh, they were endangered there for a while. And so, uh, I decided I would just buy a bull and, uh, a purebred bull and start crossing them to my cow, my Holstein cows. And, uh, so that I found the bull actually in Kansas. There was a, there was a guy that, uh, loaned me his bull and started having cows and, uh, started, started having calves from, from these crosses and really liked them. I never, never knew a dairy calf could get be could be so energetic. And we thought, <laughs> wow, these are just great. And yeah, we haven't looked back since. So here we are today with our Dutch belted cows and we're now in the third, third, uh, fourth generations away from Holstein. So we're not completely purebred, but we're, we're getting pretty close. And today we're, um, we're, uh, milking once a day and, uh, we're all grass, no grain and milking year round. And, uh, yeah, just loving it makes for the family life so much better when you're just milking them once a day and it's the couldn't, couldn't wish for a difference. Yeah. Yes. Very nice. Now on your Dutch belted, those first calves out of that Dutch belted bull, were they all black and belted at that point? Well, most of them have a belt when they come out, even that first. So this, I, I always told my kids that the spots on the, on the Holsteins all went to the front and the back. <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> uh, but they, they typically have a wide belt and white feet on that first cross. And oh, yes. they get a little narrower as, as they get closer to purebred, but it's, it's, it's pretty dominant on those belts, so we we enjoy it. Yes. Now you mentioned there you're doing one once a day milking, which I grew up on a dairy, four thirty. It didn't matter if it's AM or PM, we were in the dairy barn. Yep. So yep. so you're milking once a day. Um how's that working for you? And when did you make that change to once a day? Well, it's been about four four and a half years now that we we've been doing once a day milking and uh i was i was inspired by it by uh another dairy farm in the area uh that milks seasonal and uh that's the way he he would do it and you know we we'd talk about uh talk about it and i you know the traditional dairy dairy farmer will say that doesn't work the cow's they'll never, the cows will never take that. And, uh, so I, I said, I'm going to take this slow. And we were milking twice a day and, you know, morning and evening. And we, we, we told ourselves, okay, we're going to be easy on the cows here and we're going to slowly transition. And so we, we slowly, uh, every, every time we milk, we milked an hour later until we came to the, you know, oh, yeah. four hour 
and you know we did all the math and everything so we were we were out part of you know it took over a course of 10 days i think and you know there was times we'd be out at midnight milking and then you know middle of the day and and uh so by the time we were done i i told the rest of the family that i think the cows just laughed at us for for making it so hard on ourselves because they they did they did well they they didn't have a problem getting used to it and so i think the biggest thing on on once a day milking is if you're not pushing high milk production for a high producing dairy cow um and feeding grain especially high amounts of grain it's not a problem at all they'll put more of that uh they'll put more of that energy on their back and also uh it aids in in higher reproduction so you know you you lose a little milk but you gain it back by more calves and and uh just a longer lasting cow you know it'll she'll last a lot longer because you're never you're never pushing her uh you know to to her maximum capacity and so that's that's kind of where the payback is in my opinion i mean there's 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 been other dairy farmers and said that, well, you could get a lot more milk and, and, uh, be a lot better off, but it's, it's, it's one of those decisions where we made that you have much better schedule, you know, family time, whether it's, you know, events or anything you can, we, we milk them in the morning and we don't have to milk them real early, but we can milk them early enough that, um, we can do that first and then be, be, done for the day and go on with our other things so yeah it's it's been really good for us i mean i i wouldn't advise uh milking cows once a day and shipping your milk off to a conventional co-op i wouldn't advise that but uh it definitely you know it it does it does make for a higher uh if if you're if you're just looking at milk production versus feed costs uh it doesn't pencil out as as well for for if you're just looking at milk production but if you're looking at you know family for your lifestyle for your um for the life of the cows and then you know the calves and hot and reproduction are just so much better i wouldn't want to go back on the once a day milking how much milk production are you getting from your cows uh, it varies somewhat from season to season or what part of the season we're in, but we do spring and fall calving. And so kind of in the, in the right before the dry off of each season, it's, it's of course less on the average, but oh, yes. we typically we'll get anywhere from two and a half to three gallons a day is, is kind of what we, oh, okay. we average on throughout the year. And, uh, so that's, it's it's not a lot it doesn't sound like a lot to most dairy farmers but when you're when you're processing and uh packaging all that all the milk um that does seem like a lot <laughs> to get oh yeah if, if, if you're doing that so how many cows do you all typically milk uh anywhere from about 12 to 25 oh yes uh so right now we're 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 about at 20 just right before the spring calving and then we'll go up to you know 25 plus uh on on the spring for the spring we try to have most of them fresh in the spring about two-thirds in the spring and one-third in the in the fall we can do some uh storage on our products for the 
fall or for the for the from the spring we can we can hold over the winter and then we just try to keep the fresh products for the fall so we don't have to have quite as many cows milking throughout the year throughout the winter less less hay less feed oh okay so how do you market all your milk so we market it all direct to consumer uh everything we produce we direct market and uh it's all sold on the farm we sell everything you know everybody has to come pick up the milk uh it's kind of a uh thanks to the kansas law is is kind of what determines how we sell things just because we're we're all raw grass-fed raw dairy oh okay and we do all our products are that way as well and so they allow that here in kansas and uh to 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 process raw milk products and sell it directly but it has to be the purchase has to be made on farm so oh okay. so that that's kind of where where we are we we uh we set up our farm kind of to the law i guess right right <laughs> to use what we can do and try to leverage on that do you sell other dairy products besides milk uh yes yes we do so uh we 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 process as much as we can uh with our with our milk that really helps on on you know the storage of milk on on fresh fresh raw milk you know there's a fairly short shelf life and so if the customers wait for a while or the weather gets bad then you know what do we do with all this milk uh and it gets kind of expensive to feed it to the hogs or to the chickens yes so we uh we do have ways of of using it for other things. So cheese is 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 the main the main thing we do. Uh, other than milk, uh, that's kind of our our biggest product. Uh, we do cheese, and then we'll do uh, we'll do yogurt and butter and cream, uh, kefir, chocolate milk, ice cream, whatever you can do with milk, we'll make it. It seems like. So, oh, very good. We 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 typically have uh, as many different things as possible to leverage that customer coming out to the drive, making that drive. So when they do come out, that we have an array of different products, so they can choose what they want to buy and uh, make it worthwhile when they're here. Oh yes. Do you have an idea about how far the average person drives to your dairy to? get the products uh the average person we have uh there's a there's a big city the city of wichita kansas is about 30 45 minutes away and the bulk of the customers would drive from that area oh yes we have people driving all over the state from all over the state coming and uh you know stocking up as much as they can at one time and so oh yeah probably the the furthest we have drive three hours so that's oh wow that's a pretty good drive well i've tasted raw milk and i've tasted store-bought milk and raw milk's much better yeah yeah when when you're i never grew up with anything other than that and uh oh yes when i've traveled in the past you know gone to a hotel or something and drank some milk and wow it's like white water (laughs) (laughs) yes now what kind of parlor do you have uh, we milk in a double four, so we have eight eight units. Okay, uh, and it's a raised raised stanchion dairy barn 
where it's just a an old parallel uh, where they they'll they'll stand right side to side, four on a side, and we milk them from behind, and uh, we can milk eight at a time. So you know, with 19 cows right now, it doesn't doesn't take very long to get them all milked. Uh, we had built that that parlor uh, when we were milking, you know, closer to 35 cows back in the day when we were shipping, you know, our milk to a different uh, to the co-op. So oh yes. And then you do all the processing and bottling of the milk right there on site. Yep, yep. It's all done. It's all connected together from, you know, the dairy barn is connected to the processing uh, room and the processing room is connected to the store. So it's from where it leaves the cow, it's less than 50 feet to where it reaches the, the store almost. So it's, yeah, doesn't travel like dairy product would. Oh, yes, yes. Now, when the, the cows are in the parlor, do you feed them while they're in the parlor? We don't. No, no, we do not. We we would do that back in the day, but uh, right before we even started our our uh, once a day milking, we were we were mixing like the big TMR uh, wagon mixer where we put in the grain and the the hay and and uh, the silage. This was before we you know were grass fed and everything. And so we oh, still, yes. that we we just mix that all together, and we'd fa- feed that after you know we had them in the milk barn, and they knew they'd have their fresh feed right after they get out, and so they knew that we want to get through this barn so we can get back there to the to the feed. Oh yeah. So we we still we still do that through the winter. Uh, we just don't use any grain uh, for the winter. We'll we'll. We'll do hay, and then um, we also do the sprouted fodder. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Oh, okay. I am not. Okay. Well, uh, fodder is a um, sprouted barley, uh, the grain barley. So it's a it's a seed when we start growing it, and it sprouts. It's more or less like your alfalfa sprouts you put on your your sandwich or your taco, whatever. But this, oh, yeah. this is for the cows, and it, it grows for eight days on a uh, on a tray that's watered every four hours, and uh, this this just is a, a boost of energy and protein for them, you know, through the winter to get them to keep keep producing without you know grain or or other things. So you have that that seed that that sprouts and you, it turns into a, a sugar and a you know, the starch turns into a sugar and, and now it's a, a plant where they can easily digest it. And uh, so they really love that. Uh, you know, it has the green growth on it and we mix that in with the hay and there's a lot of juices coming out of that, that oh, yeah. mix in with the hay. And yeah, they do really well on that. And that's something you do during the winter months? Yeah, that's just through the cooler, colder parts of the year when, when the, the paths oh, yeah. are dormant. Yep. And when the paddocks are growing, are they getting anything other than the grass? Occasionally, we'll use some hay just for balancing. So, you know, on a dairy cow, uh, you want to try to balance it out as much as possible. Uh, you know, in the spring, you'll have the, the the fresh new growth. And as I've moved away more from annuals, I've had uh, 
less less of those problems you know you can have the bloat from from some of the species that you know are, are very oh, yes. lush and tender and they just go out there and eat too much of that and so it also you know affects their body condition and it also affects the milk you know it, it can become very uh strong flavored milk and and uh uh which isn't a negative but a lot of people it does a lot of people will comment on it that it has a an off flavor if they have that. So we'll use we'll use grass grass hay for for that time. Mix in a little of that just to balance things out, and then later on in the fall, if 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 the if the paddocks are getting kind of woody or plenty mature, then we'll we might start supplementing a little bit with with alfalfa hay to give them some proteins. Oh yes. That's kind of what we do otherwise than just straight grass. Uh, we do we oh, yes. use the hay, the haying operation, the haying for for balancing some of our, our dairy needs. So Yes, that, that makes sense. Yeah. On your pastures, you're milking once a day. Are they moved to a new pasture each milking, or do you how often do you change paddocks with them? Yeah, they're they're once a day uh that we move them and that's that's even through the winter uh we'll we'll unroll uh round bales you know in the winter they'll they'll go out there and uh fence line they'll feed along the fence line and you know that gets moved every day yeah it's just a small area but it does give them a new place to lie down and and things like that and so we we the way our paddocks are set up it's very easy to to give them any amount they need it's more or less a strip grazing system where where we can just move them as far as we want oh yes uh, lloyd this the part with the cows and your dairies all very interesting to me but let's transition just a little to the the forages you have in your pasture earlier you'd mentioned uh, when you started down this process about your rainfall, there wasn't enough in, in your area. What's your annual rainfall total? Uh, typically, it's 30 inches. Uh, oh, yeah. We're, we're about in the center. And if you look on most satellite maps, we're right on the edge where it, it turns from green to brown. <laughs> to brown yeah. <laughs> and uh, Do you utilize any irrigation? We do not. We're we're a little we're between two rivers and we're on a high area where most of the irrigation is more toward the areas of the river, closer to the rivers. And oh, yes. we do not. We 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 have a, a good um alfalfa grows well here. It gets it doesn't get, you know, as wet and humid as some other places where alfalfa doesn't work as well. So alfalfa has always been a good i think it's a good thing for the for the pasture dairy just because it's a it's a great protein for them and you can also store it in a hay bale for them as well oh yes with with the drier climate we have you know the the disadvantage is less rainfall but the advantage is you can dry hay easier you can store it and dry hay oh yes bale it green and and it's still nice and green a lot of a a lot of the 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 hay buyers from other states, you know, are noted to come to Kansas for the Kansas alfalfa, and so that's one thing we have an advantage of. 
uh it it does it doesn't work quite as well in a grazing system uh when it's pure alfalfa just because you know it gets too too lush and the cows can bloat on it uh so yeah oh yes you have to be pretty careful when you're grazing straight alfalfa which i i don't i don't tend to to grow anything monoculture anymore i i typically will plant a mixture of different things and that that also helps helps the cows balance things out so oh yes so what kind of mixture are we seeing out in your pastures well i uh i kind of the base what i start with and this this is all, all my land here here on the on the farm that I grazed for the dairy cattle was all in, in annual production up to about five years ago. Oh, okay. There was some that was in, in perennials longer than others, but the last, the last uh, of it was about five years ago. And so establishment of a sod is kind of the key. So anything that I can grow that will make a good sod where the cows can go out and and there's something growing and so i've typically been just adding to what what grows native and then just adding and what what's worked very well here is a mixture of cool season grasses because the we do have you know our native there's some native grasses even annual like crabgrass grows out here which the cows really like through the summer and you don't have to plant that but for the spring, oh, yes. spring and fall, uh, the the cool season grasses work very well along with alfalfa. And I'll put so my mixture that I'll that I will just overseed with a no-till drill is uh, orchard grass, little fescue, some um, uh, brome grass, and then alfalfa and red clover, and uh, and I've, I've been putting some uh, other forbs. You know, I, I love to put as much out as possible. And uh, some seeds are really expensive, you know, just to experiment with. And so you're constantly oh, yeah. tweaking the mix every year. Uh, typically, I'll, I'll re-overseed uh, a pat, paddock or two every, every fall and just kind of stair-step it out. And then the, the areas where where um it's getting close to the overseeding i'll more use as a sacrifice paddock and feed hay on it or you know have the cows or calves on it over winter and uh and then the following fall i'll i'll plant this mixture into so another another thing i really like is the uh, plantain there's a tonic plantain and a lot of the cover crop uh, seed places are using that and then the uh, chicory is also uh, something that that has been working pretty good in my in my system they really like that oh yeah plantain is it's drought tolerant and uh, I, I getting some forbs out there is really really good for the for the cows very very good on your paddocks you're moving them once a day do you have what kind of infrastructure or fencing do you have for your paddocks? We we just utilize a one wire electric fence around all the perimeters, and uh, our land is a half a mile long, so we we can have long strips about 
we typically have them about 300 feet wide and uh, 100 yards wide. Oh, okay. And then uh, we can we can put a back fence, a temporary back fence up, and then the the fence in the front is kind of where we we adjust how much they get each day. And uh, there's a water line. So so between these these long strips, there's a lane. There's a, a walk lane for the cows to go into the back up to the buildings and out. And, uh, and then there's a gate every, every three to 500 feet. Oh, okay. And uh, where they can get into the, into the paddock or the strip. And then along that lane is a water line as well for them. So we can, oh, we okay. can the, the water right there. And, and it just makes it so much easier to, to move them, you know, the, the water's there, the feed's there and the manure stays out there. And that's just, yeah. Oh yes. Really a good thing when you have cows grazing out there and doing the work for you. Oh yes, it is. Now, in addition to the cows, you have some other livestock on your farm. We do. Yes. Yes. We have tried a lot of different things and, and we've, we've, uh, at this at right now we're doing uh layers pastured layers so we we uh we have a, a egg mobile out there with with several hundred layers and then uh we have the uh pigs the pigs we mostly just utilize for deep bedding in in deep bedding so some that's more most of those are in around the the, the farm at this point so oh, okay. we pigs and and so the pigs utilize a lot of the byproduct from the dairy processing so oh yes a good fit for the to have pigs and we did broilers pastured broilers for a while and uh, so now we have contracted that out to to another farm who 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 just produces them and and we we sell them here at the at the farm store Oh yeah, yeah, and then then we do the. It's kind of a small project, but it's something that I've uh, always enjoyed from being a boy up until now. Was the rabbits? We we do some some pastured rabbits as well, um, and I always enjoy that. We don't we don't actually have the mothers here. We have another another farm who who just has the breeding stock, and we just buy the 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 weanlings off of off of them and then have them on pasture and then we actually do those we process those here on the farm so on the rabbits are you using a rabbit tractor how do you have those on pasture yeah those those are small enough scale where we can we can have those closer to the house and we we have those just under our fruit trees around the fruit trees you know our oh yes orchard we have um we just move them around there and they're, they're, they're a smaller rabbit tractor where we can actually pull them, you know, without hooking a piece of machinery onto. And, and, uh, they, they tend to need a, a, a bottom on the, on the tractor. So a bigger, a bigger pen is a little more challenging to have, you know, a, 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 a bottom where they don't dig out. And so oh, that yes. broiler broiler, you can keep in without that, but, rabbits will find their way out and and become neighbor's dog food or something so oh yes how's the market for the rabbits are you all selling them through your store yes we do those 
through our store and they're they're rare enough as far as the availability of of rabbits is is rare enough that you know people seek us out for that specifically um it's 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 not a big market but it's big enough that it's worth right. doing and and because of the uh the niche part of it it's uh there's it's a good return even on a small scale so oh yes a nice thing about rabbits is you don't need as near the amount of of input costs on feed like you do on on chickens or broilers and so oh uh, yes that's it's really good on on uh, pasture side of things i find the the pasture rabbits intriguing mm. um i i did have rabbits but i hadn't tried any pasture any rabbit tractors yet so yeah maybe maybe in the future i'll try that no uh, they're they're a lot of fun i i really like them um just to watch them graze down a, a that rectangle area that you have them, and then just a whole bunch of litter after after you move them. You know, we move those every day as well, and and uh, you know all that fertilizer going in for the fruit trees. Oh, yeah. yeah. On your eggmobile, are you moving the moving it through your pastures where your cows graze? Yeah, yeah. So through the summer, it moves more along with the cows and through the winter we we've been just keeping it we move it every every day but it's on a smaller area this winter we actually put up a net around them because we always have the predator issue in the winter much more than through the summer so through the summer typically we can get by of moving them with the cows and the cows move far enough each day that predators aren't aren't really going after them but through the winter we've got a lot more overhead predators you know seeking flying around and looking for for a winter snack so uh the netting has really helped that and we do we do run a guard goose with them as well so that that oh yes what breed of chickens do you use uh mostly the the plymouth rock or the bard rock uh and then we'll we'll um follow up with a flock of uh, Rhode Island Reds and typically a bigger, a bigger chicken than your smaller, you know, conventional chicken is better just, just for predator issues and hardiness as well. Oh, uh, yes. But we like to switch around so we know which one are the older ones and, and oh, yes. uh, tell, tell which ones we have. So, That's a good yeah. system for you to be able to quickly age them and, and know who's aging out. That's, that's yeah, a very smart yeah. way to do that. Yep. Lloyd, we came to the time in our podcast where we do our famous four questions. They're the same four questions we ask of all of our guests. Uh, our first question is, what's your favorite grazing grass related book or resource? Well, um, I went to my... Uh bookshelf and and uh, the first book that came to my attention was was a book on uh grass the forgiveness of nature uh i bought that here years ago and it's by charles walters and it uh really helped me understand the role of perennial grasses and and how how much more efficient they are than the annual uh, crops we produce and and how they're resilient to nature and how well they 
yeah, the forgiveness part of, of it to, speaks for itself. So I really, that really helped me understand why our prairies were covered with grass, you know, out here in Kansas. And, and we, we do have a lot of the, um, you know, the, the storms, the wind and the, the hot and dry. And, and so grass, you know, was never replanted ever. As a small boy up until now, you know, our native pastures were never re, re, reseeded and they're, yeah. they're still going strong. So that really helped me understand why, why that is. I don't know that my wife's going to be happy with you because that's a book I'm not familiar with. So I'm going to have to go look it up. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It was by Charles Walters and I remember buying it from, from Acres USA. Oh yes. Well, I will have to look that one up. Our second question what tool could you not live without on your farm? Well, uh, there's probably a lot of tools. If I, the day, <laughs> the day they'd break down or not have is the day I'd really be thankful for it. Uh, but the first thing that comes to mind is my, my side by side, my UTV that I use every oh, yes. and just, man, I just use that so much when you're out, especially on a, on a uh, dairy when you got cows out and you bring them in take them out and feed them out there it just you know you put so many miles on it and so they're light they don't cause compaction and they got the bed oh yes on them so yeah i've i've got a can-am defender is the one i have and it's really really done well for me i use it to roll out bales uh with a bale and roller and kids use it to go gather the eggs and yeah we've uh, we've got a lot of fun on it very good our third question is what do you know now that you wish you knew when you started this journey or or another way what would you tell someone just starting out well i i come from the side of being a conventional farmer and going to uh a different approach and uh so I guess the beginning stages for me were were going from volume, the mindset of producing volume to the to the mindset of producing quality and 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 focusing on customers. That's that was the big thing that had to that I had to learn that I think so many farmers do that I talk with are, are just so concerned about if if we do this pasture thing we won't get as much production volume will be down we won't get paid we'll go bankrupt and you know that was the hardest thing for me to to overcome was that was that idea that um how can you make more with less i mean that's that's oh, all, yes. all our um education you know we've learned as a conventional farmer is not that it's it's for volume and higher production and supposedly that leads to higher profits but it that didn't hold out for me so i am yes yes here very good where can others find out more about you uh we've got a website for the born trigger dairy um and that's just our born trigger and like our name, our name has the R in it. Most people will, will think of uh, our last name as, as Bond Trigger and forget the R. And so ours does have the R in it. So 
HorntriggerDairy.com is our website. And then we have a Facebook page, uh, Instagram. Uh, my wife did a couple of YouTube videos, mostly on the marketing side for customers. But yeah, oh yeah, she's my my wife is the uh, the marketing expert here. I I do the producing and and uh, she she does the marketing relations with the customers and keeps up the website and Facebook feed and all that. So she's the she's the expert there. She's what keeps the keeps the farm going when she able to sell our products. So yeah, that's websites probably the the one of the biggest uh things and then uh our email list is also very very strong. She puts out a lot of content on our email list. So Oh yes. And this may not be a question for you, maybe more of a question for her. What kind of content do you put out on your email list? Well, she uh she we uh we we have taken several marketing courses and probably the biggest uh thing we've changed over the years is from trying to sell something to 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 be more relational with our customers and uh and help them solve their problems uh is more is is kind of the content she's she's after uh so she'll she'll put on a lot of uh value and a lot of tips a lot of recipes a oh, lot of uh, more or less answering the questions that customers have when they're talking with her becoming that uh solution to the problem they're 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 facing so. very good Lloyd, we really appreciate you coming on to the podcast and joining us. We've enjoyed it. It's been good. It's been good chatting with you. And, and uh, yeah, it always helps me to talk about it, to realize the reason we do the things we do. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation we had with Lloyd today. I found it super interesting. Like I mentioned earlier in the episode, Dutch belted cows have always been one of my favorites. It's a fascinating breed, and they're so striking to look at with their white belt. And we talked about a couple of things that I wasn't familiar with, like the sprouted fodder. One other thing that I found interesting was the pastured rabbits. So I, I hope you gain something from it. We do appreciate you listening. Thank you for listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. Be sure to share this episode, leave us a review, and subscribe. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. I know I did. Thank you for listening. And if you found something useful, please share it. Share it on your social media. Tell your friends. Get the word out about the podcast. Helps us grow. If you happen to be a grass farmer and you'd like to share about your journey, go to grazinggrass.com and click on Be Our Guest. Fill out the form and I'll be in touch. We appreciate your support by sharing our episodes and telling your friends about it. You can also support our show by buying our merch. We get a little bit back from that. Another way to support the show is by becoming a Grazing Grass Insider. Grazing Grass Insiders enjoy bonus content, monthly Zooms, and discounts. You can visit the website, grazinggrass.com, click on support, and they'll have the links there.
Also, if you haven't left us a review, please do. It really helps us as people are searching for podcasts. And I was just checking them, and we do not have very many reviews for 2024. So if you haven't left us a review, please do. Until next time, keep on grazing grass.